from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. But the last clip you played should bother everyone. I guess I'm advocating that we put the St. Louis STL Aviation Group on the list and make it 9 and not 8 and not 10. Hopefully? Yes. And, you know, because one of the things that I... Here we have an appearance of corruption. Here we have them setting up their own system secretly to determine which bidders get through the process. One of the really sensitive issues around privatization is, you know, whether there's insider deals going on. So, and, and but the conclusion was that he should be excluded. That was pretty definitive. Yeah. But he's not. We thought it was. Should, be, you, you, should I play the? Should I play the tape? I, so, I mean, Mike, you know, the very I don't know fact what, you I were know. able to get these recordings in the first place seems almost like a minor miracle. Was it hard to get your hands on these? I'm Sarah Fenske. More than two years ago, Mark Pedroli filed a lawsuit against the city of St. Louis and its airport working group. Mark filed the suit on behalf of Alan Hoffman, a retired lawyer who had objected to the working group meeting behind closed doors. Mark argued that the state's sunshine law only permitted the group to discuss very limited topics in secrecy, and he was convinced they were in violation of the law. Now, recently, the city released tapes of those closed-door sessions to Mark Pedroli. They provide an unprecedented look at the dealings of the airport working group, which considered leasing St. Louis's airport to a for-profit bidder throughout 2018 and 2019. And joining us now with more on this story is Midwest Newsroom and investigative editor Steve Vakrat. He recently dug into these tapes for a story published on St. Louis Public Radio's website, as well as other outlets. So Steve Vakrat, welcome. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by attorney Mark Pedroli. Mark, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thank you. So, Mark, before we dig into these tapes here, I want you to give us a little bit of, like, Sunshine Law 101. Public officials can only keep the public and journalists out of their meeting for some limited reasons. What are those reasons? Like, when can they kick us out legally? Well, there's a variety of reasons, but I think what's, what's relevant to the airport um, issue is the leasing, purchase, or sale of real estate. So the law generally says that, you know, except to the extent disclosure is otherwise required by law, the public body is authorized to close meetings, records, and votes to the extent they relate to leasing, purchase, or sale of real estate by a public governmental body where, and this is the important part, Mm. where public knowledge of the transaction might adversely affect the legal consideration or the money that's paid. And we've argued from the beginning that everybody knew this was about airport privatization. So the fact that the bidders have more information, it's unlike, let's say, a government secretly trying to buy a piece of property, right? You don't want a bunch of other bidders to know that the government is a bidder because then they think, well, the government's a deep pocket. Let's get in there and push the price up. That's understandable. This isn't. This is the complete opposite of that, and there was no adverse effect at all of the public or bidders knowing 
that the city was considering a privatization of the airport. So you argued that this excuse that they were using, <coughs> that this was not a good excuse on its face. But even beyond that, it's not like they were just sitting around and talking about specifically the lease and purchase of this. There were a whole bunch of other ancillary considerations that ended up being discussed in these closed door sessions. Did you have any sense of just how wide ranging these discussions would end up being? Uh, well, it, it's it's beyond, frankly, it's beyond belief. And I would have to say that this is probably a record-breaking amount of sunshine law violations. I mean, it was over a period of many years. And like you said, I mean, we even have a Supreme Court case in Missouri that's directly on point. It's called Spradlin. And it basically says that you can have these closed meetings, but it has to be re really specific and generally about the price, right? The price of the sale or the lease. But, but meetings over a three or a four year period that has to do with environmental issues, um, controlling the media, not allowing the media to know what's going on, and ultimately to sell it. It was more of a marketing scheme that was going on inside these closed meetings to try to figure out how to sell something that was unpopular with the people, how to sell it to them. That is absolutely an illegal reason to go into closed session. No government should do it, and I think they've learned their lesson from this, or hopefully they will. <laughs> we will see about that. Yeah, time will tell on that. Steve, I'm interested to get your perspective on this because I feel like many times journalists have a hunch that public officials are not talking about the officially stated topic when they're behind closed doors, but that can be so hard to prove. The fact that there are tapes here that capture every word of these meetings, how does that change the equation here? Well, it, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, as reporters and even, you know, some of your listeners are going to be people who sit in council chambers and, you know, pay attention to what government does. And when they meet behind closed doors, it's impo it's basically a trust us, we're going to follow the law behind closed doors. And to be fair, you know, some presumably do. There's lawyers who sit in there uh, often who are hopefully mindful of their obligations. But when you listen to these tapes, it's really a... You know, they they talk a lot differently um, in private than they do in public, and that's to me as a reporter, uh, and even just as a citizen, that would be a pretty important distinction. And where this really gets to be an issue is when we talk about privatization. That's one of the things that government does that warrants the most scrutiny. Um, because sometimes these deals can really go wrong. Like Chicago is the classic example when they privatize their parking meters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a big, big upfront cash at the beginning, but then a private concern gets to collect all the revenues over a period of time, and sometimes the service is diminished. That's not to say all privatization or leasing to private entities of public services is bad, but it warrants scrutiny, and that scrutiny is much, much harder to achieve you know, for people in the press like myself or just curious people uh, at home when there are these extensive closed-door meetings 
Um, and it's ultimately going to be up for a judge to decide whether, you know, laws were broken. But, you know, what Mark Pedroli observed uh, just a moment ago, a lot of this discussion was around how to sell it. And there is not a exemption in the Sunshine Law about how to message and sell things to the public. Hmm. We're going to dig into these tapes in just a moment here. But before we get into some of the, you know, these secret conversations that we were not allowed to hear in real time, um, Mark, the very fact you were able to get these recordings in the first place seems almost like a minor miracle. Was it hard to get your hands on these? Well, yeah, initially, in fact, um, when we asked for these, we, we didn't get them. And uh, I, I don't know if they knew, well, I don't know if the city councilor's office, the people I was working with, even knew that they existed. And well, only later in the litigation were we able to get them. So initially, we didn't know they existed. Um, then, then it came to light. Then we got them. Obviously, we, we got the closed meeting minutes, too, right, mm-hmm. which is actually the written notes of what happened at the meetings. And um, those are very different. Let, let me put it that way. And th- this is a big concern that everybody has in government. or pe- Like Steve said, people that go to these meetings and watch and try to keep tabs on what's happening behind closed doors. The actual closed meeting minutes were very different from the uh, oral sort of supplementation we received, which is disturbing because, in a sense, uh, it seems like there was an effort not to create, you know, written minutes that reflected everything that was done in these meetings. So that's concerning, too. And it's a good reason why I think everyone ought to have um, oral recordings of closed meetings. Um, We have the technology. It's easy to do. Um, it's it's sort of old-fashioned to have somebody sitting there typing, you know, what they think they're hearing, and they're often missing a lot. Um, but we have lots of large chunks of these meetings that are missing. Um, it's, it's disconcerting how it doesn't match up. One of the other interesting things is, too, though, is even in the agendas, the agendas for, this meet, for these meetings sort of list very, you know, lightly a few reasons that they're going to go into closed session. You would imagine when you see an agenda, this is a 10-minute meeting, but it would be three hours. And one of the issues on the agenda that they put there was, quote, other closed session items that the working group may wish to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's sort of illegal on its face. because The public has a right to know the specific reasons that you're going into closed session. And that just seemed silly. Yeah, I mean, that's wow, that's kind of a revealing way to couch it there. And that actually brings to mind a couple short clips from this meeting that I want to play. Um, Steve helped us winnow down to find some interesting moments here. This goes back to City Councilor Michael Garvin, who was advising this group, um, is an attorney. And at one point, he shared with the working group the fact that Mark Pedroli had filed this lawsuit over these closed door meetings. And there's another generic provision that we're improperly going into closed session all the time without saying what their basis, they don't know what we're talking about. Or this is right here on the agenda. Just the generic, uh, it shouldn't be in closed session. So that's Michael Garvin mentioning that very same point. Now, at that same meeting, this is on December 10th, uh, City Councilor Michael Garvin discusses, feels to me like he's kind of discussing the city's potential liability with these closed door meetings. Well, there is a danger in these closed sessions. Uh, we have long closed sessions. Occasionally, our conversation may stray. Occasionally, our conversation may stray, in the words of the city councilor. Steve Vakrat, what strikes you hearing that? 
Well, on, on its face, it's an acknowledgement that they're spending a long period of time having lengthy discussions in closed session. And that's always a, you know, an issue for concern because as most people sit around a table, they start talking, they may become less mindful of the things that they're supposed to do and not do just in any general situation, particularly when there's laws governing um, what they can and cannot talk about in closed session. You know, the, the longer you go, that could potentially lead to just forgetting what your obligations are. And if you look at the timestamps of the minutes of some of these meetings, it just shows that there is, in, in a few of them, an imbalance between the time that was spent in open session uh, versus time that was spent in closed session, just hours on occasions uh, spent in closed sessions. And, uh, you know, his, his statement sounds like a caution of, you know, the longer you know, we're spending a lot of time in these meetings, and there is a danger that we could stray in some of the discussions that we're having. There is a danger, and that danger is one Mark Pedroli is now all over. Um, one of the other issues, one of the big issues here involved requests for qualifications. There were 18 different firms that submitted these qualifications saying, we want to be the party that ends up leasing this airport. Now, just to remind people of what we talked about a great deal uh, back a few years ago, one of these firms had hired Mayor Francis Slay's Chief of Staff Jeff Rainford, the former mayor, former chief of staff. He was its lobbyist. That raised a lot of questions since Rainford was part of the cities going down the path of exploring exploration in the first place. Well, the working group spent some time discussing how to handle Rainford's role. I'm going to play a clip where you can hear the city budget director, Paul Payne, he's the working group chairman, uh, discussing with Linda Martinez, the deputy mayor of development. Linda Martinez wanted to change the minutes from an earlier closed session. The group had apparently agreed there was an appearance of conflict for Rainford. She thought the minutes should say there was no actual conflict. And Paul Payne counters that that goes too far. He's not ready to say there's no actual conflict. All that does for me is tell me I am not comfortable with saying there is no actual conflict. I cannot say that. I can say that we all agreed that there was an appearance of conflict, so I'll agree with that. I mean, that's what we said. So, and, and but the conclusion was that he should be excluded. That was pretty definitive. But not we thought he should be excluded. I didn't. Th I don't think we said that we were going to be the ones to tell them who their team members would be. They could make whatever decisions they wanted, but we thought it was an you, appearance. You, of should conflict. I play the? Should I play the tape? I, so I mean, Mike. You know, I don't know what. I don't know what you want. Oh, we well, I, here's what I was going to say. When you say the firm, there is an appearance of. I agree with that because that's what we basically said we were going to say. There was an appearance of conflict, so we can okay. put that in a minute. I don't have any problem with that, but. The working group believes it's not an additional conflict. No, because I, 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 I can't say that. And I, I, I'm with you on that, Paul. I mean, from day one. And so that is Paul Payne making a case that, yeah, there might well be a conflict here. One other interesting, very short clip. Um, after Rainford quit as the lobbyist for this, this uh, group of bidders, he was still working for the group. Well, here the group discusses that Rainford was no longer the lobbyist for Oak Tree. Remember, guys, he's not on their team. So, well, because they pulled they pulled him because of us. I know he got, he lost his job because of us. I know. And that was Deputy Mayor Linda Martinez seems to be maybe expressing some some sympathy for Jeff Rainford no longer getting to be the lobbyist. Steve, Steve, what do you make of that? Well, I can't. It's hard to get into uh, uh, Miss Martinez's mind as she's making some of these statements, um, but. 
longtime uh, readers and listeners will recall that it was in that same meeting that there was some talk uh, from Ms. Martinez about whether that group should have been made part of a short list uh, or not. Um, and, you know, she would say that she was advocating for that group to uh, make the short list of bidders that the uh, working group would, uh, would, would contemplate, even though there were some members of the working group that didn't think that they did such a great job with their presentation. You know, Steve, as you talk about that, we actually have, again, um, audio from this meeting we were not allowed to be at. So let's play that now. I guess I'm advocating that we put the St. Louis STL Aviation Group on the list and make it nine and not eight and not ten. Hopefully? Yes. Mm. And, you know, because one of the things that I keep thinking about is what does it say to the market that we don't pick somebody who has actual knowledge of a lot of things that are going on in St. Louis, that has a minority investor, that has, you know, people from union funding. I mean, I think we have a lot of messages that we're delivering that I think would be very bad, bad public and political, as well as the actual technical criteria that we set forth. That is Deputy Mayor Linda Martinez. Now, not long after these actions leaked uh, to the Post-Dispatch, the mayor did end up pulling the plug on the whole airport privatization experiment. Mark Pedroli, hearing this now, hearing her advocate um, for this Oak Tree group that involved Jeff Rainford, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, earlier they were talking about whether or not something was a conflict of interest or an appearance of conflict of interest. Here we have an appearance of corruption. Here we have them setting up their own system secretly to determine which bidders get through the process. And they don't want to adhere to their own system. And they're discussing exceptions to the system, to the secret system behind closed doors. This is just, it's, it's illegal, it's secrecy on top of secrecy. It's the reason why we have transparency laws. This is it. Just the idea that they're discussing policies on conflict of interest that should have been held in an open meeting. Whether or not someone has a conflict of interest is a policy issue. That's not an issue about a lease. That's an issue about whether the government should allow someone to proceed forth as a bidder. The fact that that was in a closed meeting, utterly and completely illegal, everyone should have known it. But the last clip you played should bother everyone because they violated their, their, own, their own system. They tried to create exceptions and they did this behind closed doors. And apparently, you know, there were some people inside these meetings who'd had enough. And I think when they leaked this to the, to the Post-Dispatch or uh, and this got out and, the, and, and they got, they, she pulled the plug on it, obviously this was a big deal. This was the final straw, I think, for a lot of people internally. They couldn't handle anymore. So we're talking to Mark Pedroli. He is the attorney who has fought to get these secret tapes released um, showing what was happening at those working group sessions that the public and the media was not allowed to be at. We're also joined today by journalist Steve Vaukrot. He is the investigative editor of the Midwest Newsroom, does a lot of work for St. Louis Public Radio as well as other public radio stations. There's just one other little bit of tape that I want to play, and then I want to talk about where this lawsuit is going. This relates to Doug Petty. He had been 
the working group spokesman, uh, many people suspected that he called this show using an alias to defend the airport working group. Um, He was relieved of his duties almost immediately after a story by St. Louis Public Radio's Corinne Ruff that included voice analysis showing that Doug Petty had, quote, very likely been the caller. Um, The working group met less than a week later, and here's how budget director Paul Payne briefed the group about Petty's dismissal. As you know, uh, Dr. Petty uh, is no longer with us. Um, As you know, on on Monday, I I had polled each of the voting members here to say, hey, this is what our intent was. And hearing uh, no dissent on that uh, intent, uh, we took action on Monday. Um, There was some, I saw some reflections for basically, just to let you know, he was an at-will employee. And we did not have to come to any conclusion on particular cause or anything like that. It was just a matter of whether or not he would, uh, was going to be con- able to continue in that position and represent with some sort of confidence in that, how we wanted to proceed. And so that's basically where we left it. And uh, as you saw, we're not going to comment any further on personnel matter, but uh, I just wanted to let you know that formally uh, how that came about. And that is Paul Payne, the budget, uh, the city's budget director at the time, sort of closing the loop on something that had a lot of intrigue back in the day. It strikes me maybe this is the one proper use of a closed session that we've heard throughout these tapes. Um, Mark, I'm very interested in this litigation that you're working on because this is ongoing. Um, you wrote, quote, we sent an offer to resolve the case to the city of St. Louis, which includes a request for an admission by the city that the closed meetings and the secretive process indeed violated the law. You're you're not asking for any money here to settle this suit. Oh, yes. No, we, we are we are asking for attorney's fees, and we are also asking for an admission. And we're asking for some few remaining documents um, that Alan Hoffman has requested, um, particularly with regard to the origination of this process um, that began, you know, arguably back in 2015. Most of the people in the public didn't really know about this until the FAA application was submitted. But how uh, secretly the government was going about discussing this for years before that. Um, Alan, who is also um, a pilot and, and an historian, uh, needs this particular piece, uh, I think, to, to write his final history on the, the attempted privatization of St. Louis Airport. So this um, is your client, uh, former lawyer, retired pilot. He's, he's yeah. writing a book about this. I, well, he wants to write something, and it may be a book as well. Um, and I think we want the rest of the information. There are, there are a few things missing. There are also some minutes that are missing. Um, we're going to try to figure that out with the city. The interviews with the bidders, um, according to the closed meeting minutes, they should have kept minutes of that as well. We don't even know why, right, they chose some or if an interview went poorly or not because we don't have the minutes from those meetings, mm-hmm. and we still don't. We also don't have the minutes from the last uh, from the last closed meeting, which I find interesting because that was sort of after our lawsuit was filed. And I guess maybe someone decided not to record um, that one after uh, arguably an admission was made uh, by the deputy uh, city councilor that there was a danger uh, in those closed sessions. Um, but it may exist, and we're going to continue to push, and we're going to continue to try to get the rest of the information and make that public as well. 
Um, we should note that Nick Dunn, who's a spokesperson for Mayor Tashara Jones, um, told Steve Vakrat in an email that the city was, quote, always willing to consider a reasonable resolution of any case. Um, he added this, quote, as treasurer, Mayor Jones strongly opposed the privatization of St. Louis Lambert International Airport and will continue to promote further transparency in local government. It'll be interesting to see how they do this. Something else that was super interesting is Mark released all of this audio, all of these minutes, and basically invited the public to help him crowdsource this litigation. Steve, you're one of the many people who jumped in on this. Um, it, it's just interesting to see everybody finding little pieces of this. Steve, you've listened to a lot of these tapes. Do you think you'll continue to just sort of pick away at them? Yeah, I think it's incumbent on us to get the fuller picture of what happened during this process. Because, again, like what I was saying earlier, privatization is such a, a, a touchy issue because of... Uh, you know, just because of the nature of giving public assets and public services over to the private sector. And, you know, e even discussions about, uh, uh, you know, whether somebody has a conflict or of interest or not, one of the really sensitive issues around privatization is, you know, whether there's insider deals going on. And so the more that the public can find out about how this process happened, you know, the more informed they are the next time uh, a proposal like this pops up. Well, Midwest Newsroom investigative editor Steve Vakrat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And attorney Mark Pedroli, i got to squeeze in one last question for our final moments mm -hmm. here. Have you heard from members of the public who are tearing into these tapes and are now sending you tips? I am, <laughs> and I'm glad I did that. Um, so it occurred to us, with 50 hours, it's a lot. Uh, it's hard for us to go through every bit of it, and we may miss something that others might hear. Um, I'm so glad I put it out. As, as far as crowdsourcing and asking people to review. It's been beneficial. We've had people on Twitter reply that they've seen things or heard things and, and they're telling us where they saw it. So, uh, And of course, members of the media are looking through it as well. Wow. So, hey, everybody get on board. Um, let's, let's, let's see what we can find out. I like your attitude on this. Uh, Mark Pedroli, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.